Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Even though this was a solid day for the average, Dow gaining 110 points, that's going to be advancing 0.16%. NASDAQ inching up 0.2%. I am not a happy man. Why? Because we got our first sign that this market is getting genuinely over-exuberant. Today, the public went gaga for two gigantic IPOs, Pinterest and Zoom, with their newly minted stocks soaring into the stratosphere like NASA rockets or Musk rockets, if you want more of an anarcho-capitalist simile. If we get a few more of these red-hot yet hopelessly overvalued deals, and Pinterest and Zoom were hopelessly overvalued, believe me, the average will start to feel the pressure. That will lead to a sell-off like we haven't had in ages as investors dump existing stocks to raise cash for the next big IPO. More on that froth later. Uh, for now, we just have to say we're going to be concerned because people are getting too bullish. I don't mind a bullish, but too bullish not for me. So now you've been warned. With that out of the way, let's get to the game plan for next week. All I can say is let the wild rumpus roar. Yep, as we head into the heart of earnings season, where we have a ridiculous number of companies reporting all at once, we're going to be playing where the wild things are rules. Okay, that means don't lift a finger until the last conference call is finished. And you know, everything there is to know, don't trade off the headlines. More than 100 companies in the S&P 500 report next week. And if you try to trade off those, hey, better than expected, worse than expected, cut forecast nonsense, I guarantee you're going to lose money. It's a losing strategy because many of the fastest headlines are written by computers now. And even humans often get this stuff wrong. Kimberly Clark kicks things off on Monday. And this stock has been en fuego. Not so much because of the earnings, frankly, but because it supports a bountiful, safe dividend yield in a time of declining interest rates. I want to hear about the raw costs and worldwide market share and freight issues. After the, the, the close, Whirlpool reports. Now, this company is frequently disappointed, either due to rising raw costs, mostly steel, or excess dumping from our trading partners. With mortgage rates down and housing improving, a big-ticket appliance maker like Whirlpool should be doing so well. You can't bet on these guys, though. Too unreliable. Tuesday morning, we hear from Verizon, United Technologies, Coca-Cola, and Procter & Gamble. Now, I expect a good quarter from Verizon, which will be greeted positively. United Technologies has the unenviable position of reporting after Honeywell, which delivered one of the best industrial quarters of 2019. I think we'll do fine, and we're getting closer to that big breakup of the company. Elevators, Otis, right, climate controls, and then, of course, aerospace. Remember, we visited Pratt & Whitney. Uh, and that will unlock a ton of value. I like the stock right here. Coca-Cola is similarly rotten luck as United Technologies. They have to follow a picture-perfect accelerated growth quarter from PepsiCo. So they're in a tough position. Too tough for me. How about Procter? 
Well, I mentioned Kimberly Clark because they'll tell us a lot about how raw costs might impact Procter & Gamble. If freight and plastic are under control for Kimberly, you can bet that they will be for P&G, too, which should propel that incredible stock even higher. If it goes down, I consider buying some. We've also got two stocks that are big, big, big tells, meaning they tell us how entire sectors will trade. Centene for managed care in the morning and Texas Instruments for the semiconductors in the evening. I believe Centene will report a terrific number, but healthcare is hated right now. Oh, it bounced a little bit today, but if the stock can rally anyway, let's just say it's good news for this horrendous group. So you're going to take your cue from Centene to see if we can go back into HC, that's what the portfolio managers call it, or PMs, healthcare. As for the semis, they need their temperature taken constantly. Texas Instruments will tell us whether the group is too hot or just right. I don't care all that much about Snap after the close, except that its stock has doubled since the start of the year. But in light of the enthusiasm for Pinterest, we need to take a good hard look at the level of euphoria in this market to be sure things aren't totally out of control. What else? We might learn the results of eBay's strategic review instigated by the thoughtful activist at Elliott Partners. I hope they break up the company to unlock value. I think StubHub's worth a great deal. I really hate Wednesday and Thursday, frankly, because the number of companies reporting is downright ridiculous. I can barely have them fit on the screen, and I just, I just picked them. A handful. We're going to start with Boeing, which will most likely guide down its cash flow projections. Bizarrely, it hasn't mattered one bit to the stock. Are the buyers about to get burned? I doubt it, because any certainty about the 737 Max's path back to the skies will be viewed as a major positive, and the stock will go up again. Caterpillar is another stock that just won't quit. Usually, that means people expect a trade deal with China is imminent, but this time I think it's about the amazing numbers we heard from United Rentals last night and today when they talked. While these guys don't use Caterpillar's equipment, okay, the demand for the rentals suggests that cats should be able to put up a very good number, at least domestically, that will take people by surprise. We got an upgrade of Domino's Pizza the other day, so maybe perhaps the domestic and the international sides of the business have returned to growth at the same time. God send. If you think that's the case, it's worth owning. After the close, both Microsoft and Facebook report. Microsoft has once again become one of the great growth stocks of the year. We own it for the Chapel Trust, like others, have been reluctant to take profits because we strongly believe in C- CEO Satya Nadella, who has reinvented the business. Don't forget Azure Cloud doing so well. Facebook has, like the old Timex ads, take it a lick it, but it keeps on ticking. I wish Mark Zuckerberg would just come on mad money and say, hey, listen, everybody, I compromised everyone's information. And then whenever he was asked about it, he could just say, hey, I told Kramer everything. This is another stock my Chapel Trust has owned forever. I hope here, obviously, is that Instagram's still growing like crazy. One of my bigger recent regrets is that we sold our last bit of PayPal for the trust. But it was such a home run, and nobody ever got hurt taking a profit. PayPal's had an amazing run here. And so if it gets hit, I would love for the trust to buy it back. Did you know that 3M has quietly moved up 20 points on nothing? Here's the thing. If 3M doesn't deliver an upside surprise or at least a restructuring on Thursday... I think it gets hammered. After the close, we hear from Amazon and Ford. I'm betting both will be terrific in their own way. Amazon should have some excellent web services numbers. Ford has rationalized to the point where I think the bad numbers may be behind them. I actually expect a good number. I think stock can keep going higher, 6% yield. Now, Amazon has a tendency to trade erratically after its report. Ford just trades Bailey. But you know what? I like them both. We also get results from Starbucks. This stock has now run up 25 points almost straight, all based on how our CEO Kevin Johnson has changed the way you get a cup of coffee through better loyalty programs, better throughput, and uh, better promotions. And don't forget, coffee prices have come down. China remains a wild card, though, and it's not a joker. Friday's oil day. We get both Chevron and Exxon. Chevron won't have much to add to what they just told us last week when they came on the show and uh, talked about the Anadarko acquisition, which you know I like. And I've liked Chevron itself. Still do. Now, I think it's 
Exxon's turn to do a big deal. May I suggest Exxon EOG? That's a gigantic independent producer that I didn't highlight yesterday because it's so big. $60 billion company. Exxon could devour bite size. Finally, Colgate reports, uh, and I also think it's time in purgatory might be over. That said, I prefer Procter & Gamble when it reports because I have to tell you, I think that Procter is more consistent than Colgate any day of the week. It used to be just the opposite, even as recently as two years ago. The bottom line, it's going to be a crazy week. But remember, the only thing that can crush the positive earnings we've seen so far is an avalanche of new supply from all these overvalued IPOs. Today, we got the first taste of what I believe will be many more deals that are just too expensive for my taste. So keep that in mind, okay? You've got the red flag now. And even as I expect some terrific quarters buried next week's cacophony of earnings reports, call me... Wary. Jason in Arizona. Jason. <laughs> Hello, Jim. Love the show. Oh, thank you, Jason. What's going on? Uh, not much. Just wanted to uh, uh, ask you a question, basically. Uh, so JetBlue, ticker symbol J-D-L-U. Mm-hmm. As you may know, they released... Oh, sorry. What, JetBlue? Oh, is that the... Yeah. Stock? Uh, yeah. You know, they, they recently announced they're going to start service to London in 2021. Yeah, but see, it's not until uh, 2021. They, they, Let me give you the skinny on JetBlue. It's real fun to fly, but it's United Continental that is the one to buy. That is a great conference call they just had, too. Hey, let's go to Georgette in California. Georgette! Hi, Jim. My question is about Tandem. I have watched Tandem since you had the CEO on in early March. They have a great product, good growth and improving margins, yet the stock is down almost 30% in four weeks. Is Tandem just collateral damage with decline in the healthcare yes, sector? Yes, exactly, Georgette. That's exactly what it is. As a matter of fact, they came after the device stocks really hard. And then tonight, an intuitive surgical report, a number that a lot of people think is not going to be that great. It could be another house of pain day for Tandem Diabetes. But, you know, i got to tell you, I think Tandem's the real deal. You saw the CEO. I saw the CEO. I would buy it right here. Stefan in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania. Stefan. Big Big booyah, Jim. I like a big booyah from Pennsylvania. What's going on? I'm calling on behalf of ACB. Uh, Due to the uh, coverage that was just initiated by Bank of America, in what ways do you think that it will impact the stock, as well as how close do you think we are to a big investor, as well as my other stock friends are waiting for? Well, we we know now that Acreage got uh, a prelude to a bid, actually, from from Canopy, and Canopy's on the prowl to buy everybody. Here's the problem. And I, I think Bruce I think Bruce Linton is simple. Uh, congratulations, Melissa, for being able to get him on the show. But I think that the group has got to cool off again. And anyway, the one to buy is Canopy Growth. Earnings season is off to a good start. The only thing that could threaten the momentum is a flood of new supply of overvalued stocks, as we saw today in Zoom and Pinterest's IPOs. On Man Money Tonight, how did big banks score in their quarterly report cards? I'm offering up a recap of where we stand with the major players. Then Zoom did its name justice this morning when it debuted soaring 72% in its first day of trading. Is the move justified? How about the fact that the founder was denied a visa eight times? Isn't that wild? I'm eyeing this newest player taking the cape. And everyone loves a bargain. Does that mean you should be reaching for a retailer five below? I'm talking to the CEO, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. Every quarter, the banks kick off earnings season. And going into this reporting period, things were looking actually pretty darn grim. The yield curve had inverted, meaning that banks couldn't make much money by taking your deposits and lending that money out at newly low long-term interest rates. Capital market activity had been not so hot for several quarters. It's almost stopped. So the bank stocks look like dogs going into this whipped it's not going into this. They look like whip dogs after the brutal hearings in front of Congress. Ooh, they look terrible, huh? But then they started reporting last Friday, and wouldn't you know it, the numbers were pretty darn good. Even more remarkably, the bank stocks have been able to rally on the news and rally hard. That's why I want to go over all of the big banks that have reported so far, because I think we've got two stories going on here. On the one hand, when the expectations get low enough, it doesn't take much to produce a strong result. That's been the case with many of these. On the other hand, some of these major financial reports reported genuinely fantastic growth numbers. And it's a wonder that they're doing that well during what should have been a less than stellar quarter. What does that mean if things get better? During the four days where we heard from the major banks uh, Friday through yesterday. The border group mounted some solid mid-single-digit rallies, big for this group, led by J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley, up 7.6% and 7.7%, respectively, because they delivered the best quarters. But not far behind was Citigroup. That's been a poor performer, not this year. It's up more than 30%, and it was up 7% right here. Even though their earnings were only, I'd say, good, the stock was so cheap and beaten down that it rallied nearly as much as the Brothers Morgan. Uh, Bank of America and Goldman Sachs both had solid 2 to 3% gains, even though Wall Street didn't exactly love the results. And only lowly worm Wells Fargo actually came out of this four-day period in the red, down 0.4%, which is not bad at all when you consider it delivered the worst quarter of the bunch and sank 2.5% when reported on Friday. So let's go through them one by one because I want you to know this group has gotten its mojo back. J.P. Morgan kicked things off on Friday by posting a truly magnificent quarter, totally out of nowhere. It was a monster top and bottom line beat driven by solid net interest margins, a suddenly booming investment banking business, a better than expected return on total uh, capital, and terrific cost controls. This was a $9.2 billion winner. The only segment that fell short of expectations was wealth management, which makes sense when you consider that so much wealth was destroyed during the fourth quarter of J-Pal bear market. It really shrank the size of their assets under management. Everything else, though, literally every other line item came in above Wall Street's expectations. So rare for a bank stock. While the brokerage business was still down year over year, experienced an incredible recovery versus the previous quarter. Their fixed income currencies and commodities trading business actually saw its sales double versus the fourth quarter. That had been a problematic division. The thing that really stood out here, though, was J.P. Morgan's expense control. As represented by what's known as the efficiency ratio, the percent of their net income that goes to non-interest expenses, which they got down to astounding 55% this quarter, well below what the street was looking for, where below is positive. In other words, CEO Jamie Dimon did some major belt tightening this quarter, and he still beat on nearly every single line item. Oh, and even with the flattened yield curve, he reaffirmed his previous guidance for net interest income this year. No wonder the stock word. I'm very happy to say that we own J.P. Morgan for the Chapel Trust, where you can follow along all our moves before we make them at actionalertsplus.com. Club's pretty happy. Also, last Friday, we heard from Wells Fargo. They told an entirely different story. 
The headline numbers were mixed. A bottom line beat coupled with a mild top line miss with tepid deposit and loan growth numbers. They used to have the best on the street. More importantly, I had the impression that the company had to say, I don't know, it seems a little lost. As much as I respect CEO Tim Sloan for taking one of the team and now his resignation a couple of weeks ago, it's hard to endorse Wells Fargo here when we don't even know who the replacement's going to be. A lot of names being floated around, some of them, uh, some of them from legal, some of them from tech. Isn't that interesting? The stock isn't even that cheap compared to the rest of the group anymore. I say Wells is in show-me mode here, which means you don't want to own it until they show they show us they've got their house in order, especially given that they guided down on some very key items uh, related to interest rates. The one break they did get was that they weren't skewered in Washington because Tim Sloan had resigned. This Monday, we heard from Citigroup. It was fine, but somewhat uninspiring quarter from another name that we own from my Chapel Trust, City, and have owned for a long time. City has long been the deepest value play among the major banks, at least before Goldman Sachs started getting slammed by that fraud slash corruption prosecution in Malaysia. Basically, City delivered a solid quarter that was not as strong as J.B. Morgan. But it's well capitalized. It's insanely cheap, trading roughly in line with its tangible book value, as if the tangible book value wasn't scrubbed. It's, it is. It's, 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 it's totally vetted. It, it's, remember what that means. The tangible book is what you would get if you close the bank and liquidate everything tomorrow. And I know they're not going to do that, so it's theoretical, but it means it's real cheap. And management knows the stock's a bargain. Why? Because they've been buying back stocks hand over fist. Get this. They crunched about 9% of the shares outstanding in the past year. Incredible. Given how much the stock has run over the past week, though, it's now back at 70 I don't want to chase. Citigroup's worth owning here, but if you want to buy more, may I suggest a pullback? Tuesday, we got results from both Bank of America and Goldman Sachs. While the headline numbers weren't anything super special, 4 cent earnings beat off a 66 cent basis, tiny revenue miss, Bank of America, the underlying results were pretty strong. CEO Brian Moynihan slowly but steadily built Bank of America into the most consistent performer of the large banks. And you can see that from his numbers. Company had 5% deposit growth. Efficiency ratio came in better than expected for the first time over a year. Profitability looked good. Perhaps best of all, Bank of America has started breaking out its digital banking numbers, which are absolutely incredible, including 81% volume growth on Zelle, their peer-to-peer payments platform. Okay, I got two niggling problems with Bank of America now that the stock is at 30 First, it's getting kind of expensive relative to the rest of the group. Ten times earnings. It's only slightly less expensive than J.P. Morgan, which is the undisputed best of breed. Still, it's a real good story and should be a go-to name on any weakness. The other problem being, you know what? I would like a bigger dividend, but the government regulates that. How about Goldman Sachs? Monster earnings beat, even as the quarter had some hair on it. Frankly, I've been a bit dumbfounded by what the stock market is choosing to value here. It's got it all wrong. They're ignoring the fabulous long-term value creation that is going on right now, created by David Solomon, the new CEO at Goldman. I was happy to see terrific expense control. They spent $350 million less than expected. And at the risk of beating a dead horse, I'm telling you this stock remains dirt cheap. It's barely trading in premium to its book value. It's like eight times earnings. I know people are worried about that Malaysian thing, but they're really missing out a great story here. We own my Chapel Trust. We've been telling club members, as it goes down toward book, just keep a buying. Finally, there's Morgan Stanley. All right, now this is hard. It reported a blowout quarter yesterday. Got a downgrade today. I thought it was quite wrong. This was a magnificent top and bottom line beat. CEO James Gorman topped expectations for both of his major business units, institutional securities and wealth management, with the only subunit that came in below expectations being the investment banking business. It was hurt by the government shutdown, delaying the start to the IPO boom. Believe me, another week or two later, and you would have had that number be way, way better. I wouldn't be too worried about that business right now, as Morgan Stanley was the lead underwriter on today's incredible Zoom deal. I think it's still worth owning, even after yesterday's terrific run. I think you can go much higher. The bottom line. The big takeaway from the major banks is that the group is doing better than we thought. And even after this latest leg higher, many of these stocks remain dirt cheap 
and getting revalued higher almost every day since they reported. Much more mad ahead. We just mentioned the shares of Zoom, and they are zooming higher. Uh, could the move continue? I'm eyeing the newly minted company. Then five below, it's not a recreational equipment. It's not about weather. It's about deals, deals, deals. But after a search higher over the past year, can you still find one in the stock? And the 2020 presidential campaign is yet to get in full swing, but the spotlight is Medicare for all. And it's giving the healthcare industry a lot of jitters. I'll tell you how to safeguard your portfolio. So stick with Kramer. Froth. Froth. It's finally happening, and I hate froth. That's because the top of the market always comes when there's tremendous euphoria. Today, we saw that euphoria in the two deals that went off hot. I'm talking about Pinterest, the online advertising site, and Zoom Video Communications, which does, well, you guessed it, video communications. Now, on the surface, there's a lot to like here. Zoom just put up triple-digit growth, cash flow positive. And even managed to turn a profit last year. Pinterest is a loved company that is just about to get profitable and is a nice alternative to owning, say, Twitter or Snap or Facebook, all of which at one time or another have come under massive government scrutiny and investor derision. Pinterest is about caring. Facebook is about sharing, namely sharing your data. And sharing in this case is definitely not caring. They are both well-run. Zoom's team used to work at WebEx and laughed after the company was bought by Cisco. It provides a video-first communications platform that gives a very rich experience to those who choose it. It's a cloud-native platform that delivers reliable, high-quality video that is easy to use, manage, and deploy. I don't know, because I use their product to communicate with members of the ActionLearnsPlus.com club when I do my monthly updates. It's terrific, and its only real competitor is WebEx from Cisco, which is number one in the category and does have a very good product. Pinterest is an old hand that is a compelling model that's behavioral in nature. Pinners <laughs> use it as a sort of wish list, something advertisers would kill for. I like the fact that this company is still growing well and really has just scratched the surface of monetization. Monthly average users are growing at about a 23% rate, not shabby. And Atlantic Equities, which is some quality work before the company came public, says that Pinterest could make $575 million of operating profit in 2022. That's not far from there. If you're a growth stock investor, you're enthused and entranced. So far, so good, right? There's only one problem, and it affects, no, it infects both issuers. From the moment they opened, they debuted with wildly overvalued stocks. They were too hot. How overvalued? Frankly, it's hard to offer any comparables. I mean, that's how, uh, because no other, it's, I couldn't find any stocks that are even remotely related in size and scale that are anywhere nearly as expensive as these two are. After pricing 36, Zoom stock almost doubled when it opened, going immediately to 65, for ending the day at 62. That puts the valuation of this $18 billion company at 52 times fiscal 19 sales. That's crazy. Remember, that's not earnings, of which, by the way, at 52 times earnings, that would be expensive. I'm talking about sales. In other words, the market thinks this company's going to grow to the moon. So, sure, it does have an amazingly good product. But, but that's dangerous. You heard me dangerous. Sure, it can go higher. Anything can go higher. Call me at these level, levels an absolute abundant time size. Sell, sell, sell. How about Pinterest? All right, it priced at 19, opened at 23.75 and drifted higher. At its closing price, 24.40, company's worth nearly 16 billion. And it's selling at more than 20 times last year's sales, but the sales were growing at 60%. Again, I have to tell you that I thought this one expensive in the top of what it was at, at the top of the range I thought it was expensive. And that original range was 15 to 17. So 24 and change just doesn't cut it, even if the company's about to become profitable. Interesting that Atlantic initiated with an overweight 
before the company came public with the supposition that the company would be priced in the teens. It was using a $23 price target. Hey, given where it went out today, a dollar above the price target, does that mean it should be downgraded next week? Sell, 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 sell. Oh, come on, it won't be downgraded because growth stock investors want a profitable alternative to Snap, Twitter, and Facebook. Each has a taint in its own way that makes it less appealing than Pinterest pretty much anywhere. There was also an attraction that Pinterest stock was being priced below its last private rally, the money it raised before it came public, which made it seem like a bargain versus what the big boys had already paid. Nevertheless, the stock immediately took out those levels, so there goes the bargain thesis. Unlike Zoom, which I regard as having the potential to be challenged by Cisco, Cisco being able to cut price and cut Zoom's margins, Pinterest is a unicorn specifically designed for the new web generation. That allows it to be priced at some some premium to the others in the cohort, but not an insane premium like it has now. Which brings me to why I'm really worried about froth. The ability of buyers to control themselves rather than just lose all objective reality and pay up so much versus quality existing merchandise is what's happening right now. That's what happened with Pinterest and Zoom. If you recall for months, I've been saying that the only thing I thought could slay the bull after J-Pal went on a rate hike vacation was an abundance of supply of pricey merchandise. The Lyft deal was a gigantic bust, which aided uh, by the fact that the shareholders in the deal were somehow able to sell stock rather than wait the usual 90 to 180 days before they could unload this. Unload it. Well, that was crazy. The lack of an effective lockup crushed buyers. I had, had hoped would quell the enthusiasm for further deals. That, however, after today is clearly not the case. So we're going to bring a whole new class of unseasoned investor into this market who are gaming the IPOs. And that kind of investor usually arrives after the easy money is made. The house of pain. Second worry, I think that there isn't enough money run by stock-picking mutual funds with a growth orientation to buy all these new stocks in the queue. More than 50% of the new money coming to this market, and there isn't that much new money to begin with, ends up in index funds. That means they can't be buyers, as these new stocks, of course, aren't in the indices. What will happen is growth funds will have to sell some of their holdings in order to buy these new holdings. And by the way, that happened, that happened all morning today. One day it won't just be con- uh, consigned to the morning. Finally, there's the issue of supply itself. One of the reasons why I've liked this market is because it's known as being tight as a drum. That's Wall Street speak for meaning there isn't a lot of excess stock flying around, not a lot of supply. We had almost no issues in the first quarter, courtesy of the government shutdown. We also have had gigantic buybacks, in part fueled by the change in the corporate tax code. They have sopped up an immense amount of supply. Remember, the market is about supply and demand, people. Now, when I look at the queue, which includes old hands such as Slack, Palantir, Uber. I am concerned that there'll be more hot money pouring in, and that money won't be able to take any pain in the downturn. If you hear about the first-day gains in stocks like Pinterest and Zoom and you haven't been in the racket, you're going to go to the gaming tables and hope to get some stock in the next deals. I'm talking about the worst kinds of holders. Holders that are your enemy if you are in a stock that they dominate. Not only that. But so many stocks have rallied so much that you could argue that these buybacks lately have been pretty counterproductive other than the ones for the banks. Now, there is no need to panic yet. (laughs) Today is really just day one of the overvaluation process. That's way too early to hit the road. As these deals flood the market, though, you will see across the board pressure as existing stocks are liquidated to buy the new ones. Selling cheap to fund expensive like Pinterest, like Zoom, is a loser's game. But many will end up playing it. The bottom line. Now that investors or traders or flippers are beginning to pay outrageous multiples to sales, not earnings, but sales, beware. That's a train that is headed to overvaluation. Hell, 
and you'll have to jump off before it crashes. Jim in New York, Jim. Hi, Jim. How are you? Jim, it's a good day. How about you? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks. Good deal. I watch Mad Money every night. Oh, you're every. a gent. Thank you. You're the man. Well, as you correctly predicted, uh, money has flowed out of my stock twice prior to the latest round of IPOs. On each dip down, I've added a little bit to my position. Jim, going into earnings now, uh, what's the latest scoop on Twilio? All right, well, we've been telling uh, club members here. We think Twilio's got another leg down, and at that point, we want to pounce on it. People don't like the chart. They think it's a head and shoulders. People think it's too expensive. It's precisely the kind of stock that's being sold to buy Zoom. And so as you get the Palantirs, as you get the Slacks, as you get the uh, uh, even Ubers, Twilio's going to come under pressure. But then you're absolutely right. We want to do something. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. But not yet. Pinterest and Zoom, they're both well-run companies. Hey, and you know what? Pinterest is a loved company with compelling products, but they are incredibly overvalued. So you got to be careful here. You know what? I'd say ka-ching, ka-ching if I got any of that stock. More deals are going to flood the market, and that could put pressure on stocks across the board. Much more mad money ahead. Does five below remain a step above in this market? I'm eyeing the company's potential to head higher when I sit down with the CEO. And they're in Philly, by the way. Then I am challenging you to a game of M.I. Diversified and telling you what, why the move in some stocks reminds me why I created the game in the first place. Well, at least let's just say we're not going to play, but we're going to learn why we do play. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. to manage your own portfolio, you need conviction. You need high-quality companies that you believe in, so that when everyone else is panicking like they were in the fourth quarter of last year, you can be opportunistic. Take Kramer Fave 5 Below, the retail chain where everything costs 5 bucks or less. These stores have a terrific feel to them. I love going to them, and more importantly, they're fueling the kind of regional to national growth story that tends to produce monster multi-year gains. So when 5 Below sold off hard in the fourth quarter, dragged down by trade war worries and the general market may let up wide may less, my travel trust pounced. We figured we wouldn't get a better chance to buy this one, and sure enough, 5 Below bottomed about a week later. And since then, it's given us a 40% plus gain, and I've been recommending it for, on the show for years. And hey, if you were still worried about this one at the end of March, come report a real good quarter, proving that Five Below is back, or it would be black, except for it never really left. And I think it's got a lot more upside over many years, but do not take it from me. Let's check in with Joel Anderson, the bankable president and CEO of Five Below, to learn more about the quarters and what's fueling this tremendous regional and national growth story. Mr. Anderson, welcome back to Man Money. Good to see you, partner. Have a seat. Thanks, Jim. Good to see you. Yeah, you tell you, yep. Joel, uh, his company is located in the old Lip Brothers building, a cast iron building in Philadelphia where my mom works, so it's still near and dear every time I go by where you are. I want to talk longer term. Okay. I feel that when I see a store that works, I think about the great Peter Lynch at Magellan who said, if you think a store works in your area and you think it can work in other areas, you've got a, a chain that can grow for years. Does Five Below work in every area you put one? You know, it's amazing, Jim. We finished the year at 750 stores. We've shared with everybody that we believe there's 2,500 plus in the United States. So we're barely over a third of the way. We entered California two years ago. In fact, just a few weeks ago, we went into Iowa and Nebraska. So look, it's been working on the coast and now it's working in the middle of the country. So we absolutely feel there's a runway across the entire United States. Now, there is a dichotomy going on in real estate. There are stores that you don't want in the mall. 
in their stores that you want. I sense that Five Below is one that the landlords want. <laughs> well, look, we want to be in healthy, vibrant malls yeah. as much as landlords need healthy, vibrant retailers. And what's great about our customer is we bring young, vibrant, lots of footsteps. And so it's a win-win for both us and the landlords. I find when I, when I go to your place, I can't believe that the stuff costs five bucks. Uh, I mean, it should be much more to me. There's all sorts of things that I always think are uh, that you're taking a beating on. That's how you feel when you go to Five Below. Yeah. How are you able to, to source like this so that you actually make a profit? Well, look, we, we got a great merchandising team. In fact, uh, a whole group of them are overseas right now. And so we get as close to the factory as possible. And in fact, some of the product we have up here right now is will all be in the store starting on Monday. So you go in our stores today, it's all full of Easter. Right. And starting Monday, it really turns over and, you know, you're going to start to see, you know, towels and, and string lights and just lots of great spring product here. And not to mention slime. Right. Slime's well, been slime a great trend for almost two years now. Incredible. And incredible. And it's just about making it fun. That one's flarp, so it's right. got fun noises, and, you know, we love, we love slime. All right. So, Joel, you say the sort you're going where you have to go. So you got to talk to us about China. I mean, I know that I mean, we once joked about $5.50. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're still sourcing well. Uh, Absolutely. Really? You know, sourcing well. You know, this is made in India. Uh, okay. You know, we've got our, our towels that come from India. Uh, t-shirts from Honduras. So we're, we're kind of all over the world where we need to be. And certainly China is one uh, country we source from, but we're, we're feeling really good about all the countries. All right. So what's with this 10 below? <laughs> Look, at the end of the day, five below and what we mean to our customer yep. is we deliver a great customer experience right. in a treasure hunt environment that delivers value. Right. 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 And so no, it's true. what 10 below is, is about more value. So the, the areas we've been testing in is the, the feedback from the customer is, oh, my gosh, that's <laughs> incredible value. And so what will be consistent in whether you're in five below or anything priced above that will be about value. You're telling me there could be a second big concept here. <laughs> well, listen, let's uh, not put the cart before the horse. We love five below. Right. As I said to you, we've only got 750 open and we are fully focused on that. But we continue to innovate. And that's one of the areas we're innovating and testing higher price points. All right, so let's be a little skeptical here. Uh, you had to benefit from the closing of Toys R Us. What happens when you anniversary all the goodwill that Toys R Us gave you in closing? You know, I was with you about a year ago. Yes, you were. And the, all the concerns was, how do we anniversary the spinners from 17? <laughs> you're so right. right. You're so right. Now you're asking me, how am I going to anniversary Hey, what? Well, I've endorsed you the whole time. I mean, <laughs> you got to let me have some. You want me to, I mean, why, are you the next Bed Bath & Beyond? What do you want me to say to you? Uh, what I want you to say is, when our customers discover Five Below, they love what they see. And so if it takes a trend to discover us, like it was spinners in 17, right. toys in 18, they get in, they like what they see, and they come back. So those customers that discovered us in holiday for toys are now coming in for spring product. And they've been in there for Easter product. So it just it exposes more people to the brand. I know you've been wowing people. What does the wow mean in Philadelphia? <laughs> well, in Philadelphia, it means an amazing headquarters. You know, we have record unemployment. We've got Bryce Harper now. Uh, so clearly, you can come in our stores and and get all the Harper product you need. And uh, it just shows you that we're always on trend. Do uh, are you out them at the uh, at the Morgan at the JP Morgan conference? Yes, we did. Thank uh, you. We're talking about the consumer is not necessarily uh, spending everywhere, 
but spending on value. Is that something that you see? That's like a big trend, what, post the Great Recession? Why are people still hung up on value? In the old days, we used to start getting people to spend more. Yeah. Look, uh, we just completed 13 consecutive years of positive comps. It's unbelievable. And, you know, of course, on our last earnings call, we guided to a 14th consecutive year. So value is really done well. Uh, and I think what we do special in value is we deliver it with a great customer experience. Right. And that treasure environment, mm-hmm. just you're constantly coming in to try new things, and find I, new things. And I know so many people worry about the tariffs. It's just yeah. not a factor, huh? You know, I think the tariffs are, you know, pretty much uh, calmed down right. on both sides. I think uh, both countries have realized we need a calming and a cooling off, and we're in a good spot there. Well, you've done a great job, and uh, you make Philadelphia proud. I'm sorry to inject hometown pride, yeah. but we don't have a lot of companies where we're from, except for parent company of that kind of thing. All right, that I want to thank Joel Anderson, president and CEO of Five Below. My Chapel Trust owns it. It's been a huge win. We're not getting rid of it. Man, money's back into the break. It is time! It's time for the lightning round. Of course, one of those things comes up And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Don in Florida. Don! Don? Can you hear me? Yes. You're on. This All right. On. All right. Hey, Mr. Kramer. You there? You bet I am. Hit me with a stock, Don. Yes, yes. I want to know about Signet. So do I. I think Signet's really got to find you out. It's calling. He needs to find out it's calling because it sure wasn't calling in that last quarter. We got to wait. Penalty box. Jesse in Pennsylvania. Jesse. Booyah, Jim. How you doing? Couldn't be better. How about you, partner? Not bad. Um, My question is on uh, Funko, the stock. Um, I love it. You know, they're, they're all over the place. Well, I'll tell you, the reason why they're all over the place is because they have some of the absolute best toys. And I am saying that, fun- look, I'm not just saying Funko's great because this is available in no stores. But I have to tell you, I think Funko's going to have a good quarter. And I like the fact that they've got that Disney calendar. So, by the way, does, uh, does uh, uh, Five Below. So I say, bye, bye, bye. All right, hit me, Mark, in Florida. Mark. Booyah, Jim. Ooh, interesting last syllable accentuate. Booyah! What's going on? That's right. Uh, buy, sell, or hold Marvell. M-R-V-L. You know what? I'm partial to Marvell. I happen to like the board. I think they're trying to make something happen. <laughs> now we're going to Pasquale in Illinois. Pasquale! Hey, hi, Jim. How you doing? Couldn't be be- Oh, yeah. Hey. Real strong. How are you? Good, good. My stock is Tailored Brands. I saw it shrunk a little bit, so I'm wondering if it's still a good fit. Well, I like that, but I have to tell you, no, it's about five sizes too small. <laughs> I don't want you to touch this one. I think sell, sell, sell. It's sell, not sell, so sell. It's not so hot. Or NSH. Let's go to Ashcan in California. Ashcan. Hey, Jim. I just want to make you money, so I want to bring a biomed to your attention. A B M D. They used to come on. I think it's a great look. I I think that even in the sell-off for healthcare devices. It still went up. You can't keep a good stock down. I also like EW. Jim in Florida. Jim. Jimbo, a big sunny Naples, Florida booyah to oh, you. I love Naples. I stayed at that Rich Carl. But boy, I bought a tequila there. It cost me 700 bucks. It was a mistake. What's happening? <laughs> My question's on Kraft Heinz. I owned Kraft after they united with Heinz. I sold it. Got into the mid-30s, I bought it back. Did I make a mistake? Well, I mean, look, I, 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 
wow, they cut the dividend. They got very little growth. They have food that lasts even in the event of thermonuclear war. I am not a buyer of, of, of Kraft Heinz. Hey, listen, I just did a piece on Campbell's yesterday. I actually prefer Campbell's to Kraft Heinz, and that says something. I do like, just so we know, General Mills had a decent quarter. PepsiCo had the best quarter, even up here. Bye, bye, bye. Oh, we're not done. Craig in New York. Craig. Alliance Bernstein. A-B. Big yield looks good. Hey, how about the fact that I like that Blackstone forever and they finally did what I wanted? But I like Alliance Person. I think it's a good situation. Mike in Florida. Mike. Hey, Jim. With healthcare taking a dip down, how do you feel with an entry point on Moderna here? I think it makes a lot of sense. RNA Therapeutics, when I sat down with them at the, at the uh, J.P. Morgan Conference, I like them very much. I think it's a good place to start a position. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. You know what? Sometimes I forget why we play Am I Diversified. I even forget why I came up with the game in the first place. Then we get days like this one. Actually, we've had a whole week of them where I get a savage reminder. When a sector throws a temper tantrum, you don't want it to be aimed at your entire portfolio. We play on my diversified so that when this kind of thing happens, as is the case with healthcare, at least the pain is only focused on 20% of your holdings. The house of pain. At most. Because that's the most you should have ever invested in one single sector. And also panic in healthcare, the leap into the abyss that we've seen over the last few days. Well, let's just call it, it's about as vivid a reminder as you're going to get that you absolutely must avoid putting all your eggs into one basket, even if it's an Easter basket. This healthcare breakdown, which actually started at the end of March, has annihilated the managed care stocks, the drug stocks, the medical device stocks, and finally the biotax. Just vast swaths of selling. It seemed odd at first, odd as in, hey, what's your hurry? There's nothing really bad out there. But that's, then that sense of weirdness quickly morphed into, darn it, how did they know there'd be something bad out there? But I don't know what it is. For taking us to where we are now, which is, oh, man, maybe it isn't so bad. After all the selling, perhaps it's time to buy. In the interim, though, the damage was as horrendous as I have seen it in ages. How bad was it? Every day, there were moments in this tsunami where you simply couldn't believe the torrent of selling. But at the same time, you didn't even know what was going to spring a leak next. You could say, don't worry, it's only managed care. And then you'd see Eli Lilly get obliterated. You thought it stopped at the drug stocks, but then it went to the devices. Intuitive Surgical continues tonight. It didn't matter how good the quarters were. The stocks were tagged and thrown away. Pure pharma. It's, it, it got crushed again. The multi-year gains are so immense that let's just say uh, if you're ringing the register on Eli Lilly, I'm picking that because that was one of the best performers. You may have bought it 40 points ago and it was just kind of lollygagging around. And now you say, I don't care if I sold it 120, 125, 130, or 115. And that's what they're doing, which brings me back to diversification. And it's why it's so essential. As I always tell you, diversification is the only free lunch in this business. If you bought all health care in March, you know what? You'd be done for 2019. Yeah, that's right. You'd be toast. But being diversified is not just defensive. It also allows you to play offense. People don't think enough about this. For example, I don't know ultimately where United Health stock is going to end up. However, I do know that if you had some extra cash or your portfolio didn't have much health care exposure, you could have bought some UNH after a tremendous quarter, by the way. One that sent the stock up eight points before the CEO used the conference call to attack the politicians who were pushing for single payer. When the stock went to as low as 208, you know that's 80 points down from its high? What a bargain. Or at least you buy some and then you get a better bargain later. But you know exactly what I mean. It was time to at least buy some. 
Now, it's true, there may be some kind of health care reform if Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders wins the White House and the Democrats take the Senate. But, geez, does anyone remember recent history? President Obama couldn't even attach a public option to the Affordable Care Act, a cheap government-sponsored alternative to the plans and the exchanges, and he had a supermajority in the Senate. Now we're supposed to believe that President Sanders would have to, the votes to effectively wipe out the private health insurance industry? Will you give me a break? Still, if you had too much health care uh, exposure, thinking that of what I just said, you were mostly paralyzed, and you were the one doing the selling when UNH dropped to the 200s. So what do we do now? I think that any big move up will continue to be met with a barrage of selling by people who just don't want to get hit again. Sell, 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 sell. The group tried to rally at the opening today, then sellers came in like heat-seeking missiles, and the up move was immediately repealed. Those who are deep into this group are once again getting crushed, and their fear is causing them to make bad decisions. But if you were diversified, you wouldn't have to scramble or live in fear because you'd only have so much health care exposure no more than 20% at the most. Then you can look at the sell-off as something else entirely. You can look at it as a buying opportunity. House of pleasure. So please, play Am I Diversified with your portfolio if the market's trends shift. If we get that giant sea change, it's the difference between being swept out with the tide or being ready to fish for the big ones. If you're diversified, you will be the angler king. And if you aren't, between the sharks and the seawater, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going down. Stick with me. I highlighted the bank stocks tonight because so many people keep telling me, you know, Jim, there's no value in this market. It's all going to roll over. You know what? The bank stocks are the antidote to the IPOs that are hot. You're talking about companies that sell at 9, 10, 11 times earnings that are growing remarkably without a lot of bad loans and making a lot of money off your deposits. So there's a place where there's value, where there's not value in some of these IPOs. If you got some of these, you sell half on Monday. You hear me? Sell half on Monday. You will not regret it. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely, in context and with perspective, and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.